Well, if you're new or visiting, I'm really glad you're here. My name's Tyler. I lead our downtown congregation. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 7. To Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. It'll be on the screen behind me, but I always encourage you, if you come to our church regularly, to bring a copy of the scriptures, because once again, it's good for you to see for yourself. This is not Austin Stone message. This is what the scriptures have to say. Same scriptures you read week in, week out. That's what we're teaching from. So we're in Matthew 7, and Jesus is coming to the end of his Sermon on the Mount, and at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, he's making these very stark statements about what does it mean to follow him? And today we're looking at probably one of the most commonly used verses of all the scriptures. I mean, the verse is so popular and used so often in our society that it's easy to forget that Jesus is actually the one who originally said it, and it's known as the golden rule. Look at Matthew 7, 12. That's what Jesus says. He says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Simply put, treat others the way you want to be treated. It's incredibly simple, yet deeply profound, which is why it explains why it's used so broadly in our society by so many different types of people as a guide for how to treat others. The reason it was given the name, the golden rule, was because uh, around 250 AD, there was a non-Christian Roman emperor who was so impressed by the wisdom in the statement, he actually had it inscribed in gold in his chambers, thus called the golden rule. Now what is fascinating about this statement that Jesus says is that he's not the only one who said it. You, you can find very similar statements to what Jesus just said in other world religions, other philosophies, there's even contemporary rabbis in Jesus' time who would summarize the Old Testament scriptures in a very similar way. There was a famous rabbi named Hillel, and he said this. He was asked to summarize the law, and he said, he replied, do not do, do not do to your neighbor what is hateful to you. This is the whole Torah, the rest is commentary. I'm highlighting that to show you other people with different beliefs than Jesus were saying similar things, but here's an important distinction to make. Oftentimes, if you see in other world religions at this point in time in history, saying something along the lines of do not do to your neighbor what is hateful to you, most others phrased it in the negative. They phrased this golden rule of sorts in the negative. Don't do to people what you don't want done to you, but Jesus phrases it in the positive. He's one of the first, if not the first, to say it in this way. And I I point that out, the reason I point that out that other people have said, other religions have even taught similar things to what Jesus taught, is not to undermine his authority, but it's to highlight his wisdom. Because listen, if you're in a cynical place, if you're in a doubting place with God, I'm sure many of you are, if you're a Christian and you're in that season, know everybody goes through it, what'll happen is you'll, you'll hear things like that, that other world religions said similar things to what Jesus said, even though the rabbis said similar things to what Jesus said, you'll interpret that in a difficult season as a reason to doubt the Bible's authority, as a reason to doubt Jesus' authority. This happens often when someone is trying to undermine the authority of the Bible. Someone will point out things like, well, did you know there are very similar resurrection claims in other world religions too? Oh, did you know there are similar flood stories in other world religions Oh, did you know there are other moral philosophies very similar to what Jesus taught? And people begin to say this to you as a means to say, look, Christianity is just taking the other myths around the world and using it for its own purposes. 
And so if you're in a season of struggle and doubt, you'll hear that and think, that's pretty persuasive. Really, there's other resurrection claims? Maybe it's not true. Other people taught the golden rule. Maybe Jesus is just tapping into some common sense of morality. That's one way to look at it. But the other way to look at it is this. Jesus is making plain and clear the truth that others had only vaguely sensed. So Jesus is the word of God made flesh and he's here to teach you, to teach me, to show us what is God really like? What is God really like? And here's what Jesus does. Sometimes Jesus will show up into a culture and he will confirm your sense of morality. He'll teach something and you'll go, wow, that feels true, doesn't it? He said that and I go, you're right about what love is like. You're right about what generosity should be. He'll say a moral teaching and you'll go, that seems right to me. Because every human being has the image of God and, some, and we have, all have a conscience and so sometimes that conscience is close to the truth though it's not authoritative. So Jesus tells us what's true and confirms certain things that we believe but also Jesus comes into our lives and he'll upend what we believe. He'll also have teachings that go against the grain of what you believe. He'll also have moral teachings that you swear could not be true, but he's the one who is the truth of God. And so what he's doing, when he's saying this golden rule, he is clarifying for the world what they sense to be true. He's saying, yeah, you were close to what's true, now I'm here to confirm it for you and teach you about it. See, we don't know, we don't know what is ultimately true about life and about God until Jesus tells us. We can have our suspicions, we can have our wondering, but he's the one who confirms whether or not something is truly authoritative. And he is saying all that God had been speaking through, Mo through Moses and the prophets can be summed up in that phrase, treat others the way you wanna be treated. Now there's a couple of things I want you to see from this. A couple of things. First thing is this, a relationship with God a relationship with God changes how you relate to everyone. It changes how you relate to everyone. Look at Matthew 7, 12 again. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Your relationship with God has everything to do with your relationship with everybody else. So Jesus came to give you a personal relationship with God. That is an incredible thing. It should not be breezed by. It's an incredible thing that you as an individual can have an actual relationship with God, just you and him. But there is nothing in the Bible that limits that relationship to just you and God. Now Jesus says in verse 12, he says, this is the law and the prophets. All that God had been teaching Israel about what it means to know him, to love him, can be summed up in how you treat other people. There's another text in Matthew 22 where Jesus again teaches the summary of God's word. Matthew 22, verse 36. Teacher, so someone's asking Jesus, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So in this text, Jesus again is summarizing the law and the prophets into two statements. He says, love God above everything, with everything, and love your neighbor as yourself. So it's a little bit more robust than what Jesus taught in Matthew 7, 
but the golden rule fits perfectly into this framework. Saying love your neighbor as yourself, another way to say that? Treat others the way you want to be treated. It is really important for us to see the essential nature of the Old Testament when it relates to our faith in Christ. I know many of you in this room, many of you in this room, the Old Testament, it just feels so archaic. You don't really know how to interpret it. You read a verse and go, I don't get it, skip. Like that happens all the time. But it's important that we understand that when Jesus is coming to speak and teach to us, he's not undoing what God had already said in the Old Testament, he's confirming all of it. He's fulfilling all of it. And God's call to his people, Israel, had always been to be the light of the world to the Gentiles, to non-Jewish people, to see what God's kingdom is like and, and how they love one another. Leviticus 19, verse 18. Look at what God says. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I want to show you God had already been saying this. Jesus is coming, is, is teaching us what God had already said. God had already laid this out for his people. He's coming to create a people, listen, a people in this room defined, known for our love for other people. And the New Testament writers, this is so important for them. They're this new church, this new faith community, and they're thinking, how does the Old Testament relate to us now? What does it mean? This is what they say again and again. I'll give you three texts. They keep repeatedly reemphasizing this. Galatians 5, 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13, 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. James 2.8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Do you see a theme? To be in the people of God means to love other people. And so when you think about your own relationship with God, so check in. If you're thinking about your own relationship with God, you need to assess that by looking at your relationships with other people. So here, here's a question that gets asked frequently in the church. And it's a good question. And if no one's asking you this question, I want you to get connected to our church, get involved in a community in some form or fashion because someone should be asking you this question. And here it is. How are you doing with God? It's a question that gets asked all the time or should get asked all the time. How are you doing with God? Like what's your relationship with God like? And so when you get asked that question, all of us, without even thinking about it, you've been trained to begin to assess, well, how am I doing with God? And so your brain goes, have I been reading the Bible? Eh, more or less. Have I been praying in the car? Have I, like, like you start going through the things, right? Have I sinned in that one way that when I sin in that way, I feel really terrible. When I don't sin that way, I feel great. That, whatever that sin is for you, you it's, it's in your brain right now, whatever that is. And we kind of assess those three categories and go, if those things are good, then I guess that I'm good. If those things are great, then me and God must be doing really well. But what did James 2.8 just say? What did he say? He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, if you're doing that, you are doing well. You're doing well when you love your neighbor as yourself, when you treat others the way you want to be treated. So listen, 
This doesn't mean that your time in the scriptures and your church involvement and your prayer and your abstaining from sin is unimportant. They're vital. Those are vital. But when you consider your relationship with God, how am I and God doing in our relationship, I have to assess that by looking at the way I treat other people. Because I can say all day, me and God are great, but if I'm not treating people with love, then we're not as close as I think that we are. When someone asks you that question, or you think of the question for yourself, you need to ask yourself, have I been treating other people the way I would want to be treated? Now right now in our culture, what you're being trained to do all the time is to assess how people are treating you, right? Our culture is training you all the time to constantly in your life be assessing, well, how are they treating me? How are they treating me? How are they treating me? And Jesus is saying, first and foremost, you should be asking, how am I treating other people? Matthew 7, 12, so whatever you wish that others, that others would do to you. So that others right there, pretty broad, just other people, This is why I said assess every human interaction because this command encompasses every person you interact with. So as you're thinking about how am I doing with God and to assess how am I treating other people, let me give you three categories of people to think about. Those different than you, those close to you, and those you have transactions with. Different than you, close to you, those you have transactions with. So the first one, different than you. We have preached on this a lot over the last couple of years about loving those who are different than you. Why? Jesus talks about it a lot, Bible talks about it a lot. And if there's anything that our society needs right now, it's to to hear Jesus say, love people who are different than you. Because if you can only treat other people the way you want to be treated when they're just like you, you're not obeying Jesus. If you can only treat other people the way you want to be treated when they believe like you, they look like you, they live like you, they live where you live, and you're not experiencing the freedom of the kingdom of God. You're really not. You're not experiencing the depths of the power and the love Jesus has to offer us. So when you are interacting with someone who frustrates you naturally, right now, think of somebody who's naturally going, oh, Lord Jesus, give me strength. Like that, that person, okay, whoever that is, those types of people who you find yourself venting about, Right? Do you justify your anger and disrespect towards them? Do you justify it? Do you explain it away with, well, that's just how the world works, and if, I don't, if I'm too nice to them, then they're gonna take advantage of that in my, in my life. But it applies to them. Why? Because they fall into the category of others. So different than you, but second, this is one we don't talk about as often, those close to you. An area we have to be really careful not to assume is that you're doing this well to those who are close to you. I, I don't know why we do this, well I know why we, we have sinned, but we, we do this thing where sometimes, isn't it easier to treat others the way you want to be treated who you don't know very well than those who know you the best, than those who are closest to you? It can be easier to be a servant and be empathetic to those who don't live with you, to those who don't really know you. Here's a question for you. Do your roommates, do your friends get the worst version of you? Are you all nice at work, you come home, you're like, that's my cereal. Like, like, is that your posture? 
Do they get the worst version of you? Does your spouse, do your kids go hang out with you in a park? You're all nice, people are having a good time, walk on the door like, all right, everybody listen up, right? Like, is that, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, where'd the nice person go? We want them back. Do you find yourself being so understanding and empathetic towards those who are outside the church and outside the faith, but incredibly critical and judgmental to those inside the church? Well, that happens all the time, doesn't it? Feeling bad about yourself? You can find a Christian worse than you. You can find some genre of Christianity to bash on for a little bit, feel better about yourself. We do this. We, we give this version of ourselves to people who aren't close to us, but listen, the people your, your love is going to affect the most are those you're most likely to treat terrible. Those who live with you, those who are close to you, your wife, your husband, your kids, your spouse, your friends, your roommates, your community, those people you'll affect the most and we can tend to say, you're my safe place, which is code for I don't have to love you. Assess yourself and go, how am I doing with God? How am I doing at treating those who are close to me the way that I wanna be treated? And lastly, those you have transactions with. It's the human beings you interact with, the waiter or waitress, the mechanic, the CPA, the cashier, and the thousands of small moments we have throughout the day with other people in our lives. And it's so easy to see those people you're having a transaction with as less than human and they're just as your servant. And to treat them in ways you would never want to be treated yourself. And you justify it because of the transactional nature of your relationship. They're here to serve me. And if they don't serve me, then they're going to get the worst version of me. Now listen, I'm not saying you have to be best friends with people. I'm not saying to go to the guy or lady who fixed your car and go, hey, so how's your weekend? What's going on? He's like, leave me alone, okay? Like you don't have to be best friends with the person who makes your coffee. It's not what I'm saying. Listen, and some of you are introverts. You don't have to do small talk, okay? You don't have to do small talk either. What I am saying though, the question has to be asked, but would you want to be disrespected if you were them? Would you want your presence to go completely and totally and utterly unacknowledged? I mean, even an introvert can give a head nod, right? It's a recognition that you exist, right? Jesus' command still applies to us. So when someone asks you, how are you and God doing? Think about it. how's my time in the scriptures? How's my prayer life? How is my involvement in the church? How am I doing abstaining from sin? Amen. And then think, how do I treat other people? How am I interacting? Am I treating them the way that I would want to be treated? And this is, goes to our second point. So the first point, a relationship with God changes every other relationship. Here's the second point. To obey Jesus and what he's saying right here and to receive the blessing. Listen, this is the blessed life. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is this is the blessed life of the kingdom of God. Here's what it requires. It requires thoughtfulness about other people. It requires thoughtfulness about other people. This is what's so unique and revolutionary about Jesus. Again, verse 12. Whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. The idea that Jesus is is latent within his statement is you have to put yourself in their situation and then consider what would I want. That's what he says. It's whatever you would want people to do to you. But listen, how you would want people to treat you depends on the situation, doesn't it? Like you don't have one static sort of always treat me this way sort of thing. 
It depends on the situation. There are certain times you want to be comforted. There are certain times you want to hear the truth. There are certain times you want to be pursued. There are certain times you want to be left alone. I can go on and on and on. How you want to be treated depends on where you're at and what is going on. So that means you'll have to look at other people and before you can love them well, you need to thoughtfully consider where are they at and what's going on with them. By nature, this will slow you down. By nature, this will slow all of us down in our responses and actions towards other people. Because if you're actually going to do this command, obey what Jesus is saying, you'll have to check what's your instinctual thoughts and attitudes and then check that with an other-oriented focus. Some of you are thinking, how is that even possible? It's a spiritual muscle that takes consistent training and intentionality to develop. Let me give you one thing you could do to begin to practice putting yourself in someone else's situation. Ask good questions. If there's one thing I get our church to do, ask good questions. Get to know other people. Ask good questions before you act and make statements so you can love them in the ways that they need. This is what James 1.19 says. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's really difficult to love other people when you're quick to speaking instead of listening to them. It's really difficult to love other people if you're quick to judgment and anger instead of calmly and soberly weighing what's going on and what's being said. And then people are really complicated. Really complicated. Proverbs 20 verse five says this. Counsel in a person's heart is deep water. What's going on inside of you is deep water. Even those of you thinking, I'm not emotional. You especially, right? You're so deep, you can't even find it, right? It's deep water, but a person of understanding draws it out. You don't know other people as well as you think that you do. Have you ever faked laughed before? <laughs> I hate myself. <laughs> I just did it. Just because they're laughing doesn't mean they're happy. Just because what they are presenting to you doesn't mean you know what's going on. You're so, we are so limited in our ability to perceive what's going on in other people. That's what the text is saying. You're really complex. So is everybody else. It takes time to draw that out. And you can't access the depths of someone's heart through force. Proverbs says it has to be drawn out. It has to be drawn out. For so many years, what I would do, I would make statements and I would act and do according to what I thought was best without truly engaging the person in front of me. So here's what happened. I would end up being very helpful to people who were wired like me. Your instinctual response will be helpful to people who are wired like you. But what happens is people who aren't like you, and don't see the world like you and have a very different story than you have, well, they interpret it very differently and you end up not being helpful and sometimes being hurtful to them. So you ask questions of other people, please hear me, you ask questions of other people not to get them where you want them but to understand them so you can serve them. You ask questions not to move them in a direction but to understand so you can serve. We, 
if I've learned anything about being a pastor here for a decade, we really struggle at asking questions that sincerely want to know the answer to what we just asked. Like we ask questions all the time just to be nice. Hey, how are you doing? Well, actually, no, I don't, I don't care. I just said it just to be nice. I don't really care the answer. I want to feel like I love you without loving you. Good, great. Or we ask questions just so we can talk. Hey, have you ever had this thing happen to you? Oh no, I have, there I go. That's funny, that reminds me of me, me again. I've been shocked over the years when I ask people questions how often I get the phrase, no one's ever asked me that before. It's like, I asked you your middle name. Yep, no one's ever asked me that before. Your friends are terrible. Like that, that's, but it's shocking to me when I ask all these pretty basic questions, people will go, no one's ever asked me that. Because asking, asking questions and active listening brings you to a level of love you're not used to. It brings you to a level of love you're not used to because you'll have to actually have to get out of your self-obsession and think about somebody else. You know what I've found over the years as I do this more and more frequently? It's freeing to think about other people. Because turns out, my obsession with self in my mind doesn't fix me. Turns out I get worse. So learning about other people and knowing where they're at, it's freeing. It's what life in the kingdom of God is like because you are freed from your self-obsession to love somebody else. And then when you know where they're at, guess what? Your words and your actions go deeper and are more helpful to them because you can be so much more specific and intentional. Why? Because you know them. Because you ask them. When you know where someone really is, where they're at and what's going on, then you can obey this command. Well, if I was where you are, I would want to be treated this way. Now, some of you are thinking, and this is a good thing to think, well, how does this work when the way you need to treat other people is not in the way that they want, right? What does it mean to treat other people in the way you wanna be treated, but what if that's different than how they want to be treated? What about those moments when they need to hear the truth or they need to be served in ways that they don't want? And listen, all of you have had times in your life where someone told you something you did not want to hear, that you did not like, they served you in ways or didn't serve you in ways that you were not appreciative of in the moment, and then as you live your life, you go, I'm so thankful for that. Right, all of you have that person when you're growing up, they challenge you, and at the time, you were so mad at them, and then six months, a year, 10 years later, you look back and you tell that story, and you say, I'm so glad that they challenged me in that way. Sometimes you treat people the way you want to be treated and it's different than the way that they want to be treated. And for the church, for Christians, we don't make that determination based off of just generally wanting good and what's best for other people. We do it according to what's right and what's good and what's beautiful and what's true according to the scriptures. Jesus says this. So back to verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. And he says, for this is the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets tell us a very compelling narrative and truths about how God wants humanity to operate. The law and the prophets, God has a vision for what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to flourish as a man, as a woman? What does it mean to flourish as an individual in this world? And so often, it's going to contradict what we want because of our sins because of our sin. 
Treating, treating others the way you want to be treated will sometimes mean confronting sin or challenging an area of their life that they don't want to deal with. But you know, you know they don't see what's good right now. They don't see what's true right now. And they need a good friend. Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. They need a friend to love them enough to engage them in this because if you're a Christian, you know this, God's word alone leads to life. And so we treat them the way that we would want to be treated in the same situation. But here's the question I have for you. So again, empathize, get in their situation. Okay, if I needed to be challenged by someone, how would I want them to do it? If I was stuck in a situation that I could not see my way out of and I needed someone to challenge me and love me with truth in a way, how would I want them to do it? You would want them to challenge you in hope, to challenge you with a vision of who you could be, not just telling you how terrible you were. I doubt anyone would say, you know, I would want them just to critique me relentlessly with no hope for my future. Sounds awesome. You know what I'd really like? I'd love for them to ask me like zero questions, not understand where I'm at, and then make big pronouncing statements about judgment in my life. That sounds great. No. You'd want, okay, if I'm gonna be challenged, I'd like the person to at least get to know me a little bit, understand where I'm at, and then challenge something specific and not just make these general claims about who I should be and what I should do. You would want them, you would want them to be patient when you struggle. Because tough truths, I haven't met anyone who gets challenged and goes, you know what, you're right, I'm different today. That's not how it works. You hear it and you go, hear what you're saying, let's not talk for a couple of weeks and I'll come back to you, right? That's how we all experience it. No one likes being challenged and so you would want patience from them as you struggle to embrace what they're saying. You would want truth in love with no separation of the two. There's so much more to say, so much more to do in this command, but this is the call of Jesus to all of us. So I wanna end on a question. The question is, because to live this way is kind of scary if you think about it. It's scary because you begin to think about, well, if I'm so focused on treating other people the way they want, how I would wanna be treated if I was them, then who's gonna make sure that I'm treated in the ways that I want to be? If I'm so concerned with treating other people the ways that I would want to be treated, who's going to ensure that they treat me the way I want to be treated? Because this command, listen, is not about you securing and guaranteeing people treat you the ways you want to be treated. Now, it's not that Jesus doesn't care about how people treat you, he absolutely does, but that's not the command here. And the command also says, don't treat them the way you're treated by them. Treat them the way you want to be treated. It's something in my own personal life that, I say it's scary because it's scary for me. So one of the ways that the people who are close to me, my, my wife and my friends who are close to me, one of those ways that if I think about how, how do I want them to treat me is I want them to seek me out. I, I want to feel wanted by them. I know all of us want that in some degree, in some form, but I know just for me, based on my own story that I'm not going to tell you right now, based on my own history that I'm not gonna tell you right now, that's something that's important to me. It's 
important to me. So what happens is because I want to be treated that way, what I find myself doing for those who, my wife and my close friends, I find myself pursuing them and seeking them out. I've always been this way since I can remember because that's the way I want to be treated. But here's what happens in relationships. You treat them the way you want to be treated and then they don't treat you back the same way. And I find myself, I'm so good at holding a grudge. I'll take your ability to hold a grudge and double it. That's where I'm at, right? I find myself getting this, these scale. you do this in your relationships. You have this scale of like, okay, I texted you, no text back. That's fine, that's one, okay? Oh, no text again, great, two. Right, you find yourself keeping the record of wrongs And as soon as you think, well, and for me, as soon as I'm like, well, I'm pursuing you in ways you're not pursuing me, the clock begins to tick and I begin to get, I can feel in my heart this fear. Well, then who's gonna make sure that I'm pursued? Who's gonna make sure that I'm taken care of? And that's the question you're gonna have. When you follow this command, you're gonna ask, how can I keep doing this if people don't respond in kind? How can I keep being faithful to other people when I don't feel like they're being faithful to me? You need to hear this. The fuel and the passion, the passion for the Christian life is not inside of you and it's not in people deserving it. It's always in Jesus. The fuel for it, the hope of the church, of us actually doing this and treating one another and treating our city and treating the world in the ways we wanna be treated is not rooted in our ability to love or in other people's lovability. Jesus changes the world by treating us and loving us in ways that are greater than we could ever deserve. Our ability to treat other people the ways we wanna be treated is rooted in the ways he served ungrateful people, the way he loved unlovable people. John 13, 34, it says, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, but what is he rooted in? Just as I have loved you. As I've loved you, think about that and have that dictate how you love other people. And then Galatians 2.20, I love this text. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Listen to how he talks about Jesus when it comes to him who loved me. He's the son of God and he loved me. He gave himself for me. Jesus was treated in ways no one would want. So you could be treated in ways you did not deserve. He was treated in ways none of us would want, dying for the sins of other people so that you could always have the hope and the assurance that the love of God would never be taken from you. That the way God treats you is the way Jesus Jesus deserves to be treated. He loved you, gave himself up for you. It's the way he loved you that keeps you treating other people the way you would wanna be treated. Here's the question. Who do you need to be more kind towards? Who, who do you justify being thoughtless towards? Who have you been genuinely disrespectful to? Or you're not even sure, but maybe you were. Who do you need to keep loving 
even though right now you want to give up? Roommate, spouse, children, coworker, you want to give up. Don't look inside of yourself for love. You'll run out. You look to him. You remember his, his treatment of you. He could, do you know how harsh Jesus could have been with you? Do you know how often, if he wanted to, he could convict you of sin every single moment of every day? If you're walking around right now, I feel loved by God. I don't feel like there's any sin in my life. He could, if he wanted to, he could bring the hammer. That's why David prays, God, forgive me of the sins I don't even know about. He could have been harsh with you, but he was kind. He could have been exasperated with you, but he was patient. How many of you have made promises to God this year you have not fulfilled? He's patient still. He could have been a coward, but he told you the truth. He loved you enough to tell you the truth. Jesus truly, he tru- I'm telling you, he's the only good thing in this church. And any goodness in this church, in this world, it's just drafting behind him. He's the one producing it. So we're following him according to his love to us. We're following his word by the power of his spirit and treating others the way we want to be treated. Let's pray together. Father, of all the things we came here and here wanting and needing to hear from you, I wonder how many of us, God, came in here thinking, God, I need to be taught on how to love other people and treat them the way that I would want to be treated. God, help us, free us from this narcissism that makes every single thing about us and makes every single interaction about how are they treating me, how are they loving me, how are they serving me. God, free us to live in the blessing of your kingdom that frees us to listen and to love and to serve other people, not because we aren't loved, but because you have loved us so fully and truly that it enables us to be that way. God, right now, what you bring to mind, right now, actively in our minds, people that your spirit is convicting us to apologize to, to not give up on, to be patient with, to speak the truth to, to invite over for dinner, to not neglect. God, I want us to be faithful. I don't want us to sing songs and hear sermons about the extravagance of your love and the people in this city remain completely unaffected by our lives. God, would you please make us known by our love for one another, by our love for this city, by our love for the nations, that we would treat others, we think about them because we're so full, because we've been loved. Because the Son of God, 
who loved me, gave himself up for me. I live to him now. Holy Spirit, empower us to obey in in ways only you can. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Church, as we're going to do, we're going to celebrate communion together. So this is